No, I try in the column each week to come up with either a little snippet of history or a little bit of explanation about some of the ingredients that people might might not think about. Um, for example, I did one on rhubarb the other day, or a few weeks ago, when rhubarb was just in season. And rhubarb has been around for centuries as a medicinal treatment. Um, you can use it as a rinse on your hair to make it a little blonder. Um, it's It's got a lot of interesting capabilities that had it first as a tool and then as a food. Um, so things like that, I just find that fascinating. Hi, this is Stephanie Fowler. And this is Tony Russo. And you're listening to another episode of So What's Your Story? A podcast in which we talk to authors and writers about their writing, their stories behind the story, the writing process, and any other sort of miscellaneous stuff we want to talk about. Today on the podcast, we have Denise Clemens, a noted food columnist in our Delmarva area. Denise holds a BA in biopsychology from Vassar College and an MA in writing from Johns Hopkins University. She spent the first 20 years of her career as an executive in the technology industry before leaving the corporate world to devote her energies to several local nonprofit organizations. She lives in Lewis, where she writes the weekly Cape Flavors column in the Cape Gazette newspaper. She is a member of the SFPA and presents programs at various science fiction conventions. Her poetry has been published in journals, chapbooks, and anthologies, while her newest book, A Culinary History of Southern Delaware, will be published by the History Press and released on August 1st, later this summer. So, welcome to the podcast, Denise. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This sounds like fun. Oh, gosh. Well, we, we're, we'll be very fun. I promise. We're, we're usually fun. Well, I'm fun. He's... I'm less fun. <laughs> well, one of the things that uh, when I was doing a little bit of research, I saw that your book, A History of the Culinary History of Southern Delaware, is going to be doing the, coming from the History Press. And Tony just finished writing about Delaware beer for the History Press. And I was like, oh, my gosh. It's, it's sort of like a, a great marriage of uh, you know, food and beverage there. Right. Perhaps. And I talked a little bit about some of the breweries, and unfortunately, I turned the manuscript in in February, and three more brew pubs have opened up, and I feel like my book is already out of date because I missed them. Well, this is my second beer book in three years, and in both books, I just put, I had to stop. At some point, you have to stop writing and publish the book. Like I, I literally wrote that. I said, there are more breweries opening as we speak, but I'm going to finish typing this paragraph and put it out and then we'll do another one next time. So there, there, there's a ton. And uh, I think that one of the reasons um, that uh, beer has become so popular is people are take, starting to take food so much more seriously and uh, making pairing beer with food has – it's kind of been in vogue since the mid-90s, but it's something that people are starting to understand a little bit more. And your higher-end restaurants, um, they want to have – a good beer a good beer list just like they want to have a good wine list well and you see that um, at restaurants as well where they're not just having wine and food pairing dinners they're doing the beer and food pairing dinners um, and I think Sam a while back also did wine and beer competition over whose beverage matched better with the dish right oh, the wow. wine that she chose or the beer that he chose yeah so well, it's out there and what was it about uh the southern delaware cuisine or the culture of food that kind of drew you to to do this this book well interesting the piece of delaware that is below the canal is really an island and hasn't had a lot of outside influence if you think about it wilmington is sort of like a 
Philadelphia suburb, um, and there's a lot of industry up there, whereas down here, we're still pretty agricultural. I know there's tons and tons of new developments, but with the farm-to-table movement and the organic farming movement, we've come back around to what the Nanticoke taught the early settlers what to do with. So um, I think those traditions have persisted, and I don't think we realize they're still there. Right. Well, I, when I was kind of doing, when I, when I was reading about your book, I learned something. I did not know that German settlers were the ones that invented Scrapple, which has been like a food staple in my life as an Eastern Shore girl my whole life. And I had no idea that the German, I just assumed that, you know, the rednecks from forever back invented that. But um, you, but you said that the German settlers the, invented that. Yeah. The Pennsylvania Dutch okay. Germans, which um, the Dutch is, of course, we all know it's not Pennsylvania Dutch, it's Pennsylvania Deutsch, which is German, and they were the ones that brought this tradition. Um, theirs is a little different. It's almost like a blood pudding, and ours is, oh. I think, cleaner and m- more desirable in t- terms of how it's made. Yeah. But when they were doing the hog butchering in the 17, early 1800s, they would make fresh scrapple from what was there, and they'd have this big pot stirring the scrapple for all the people that were doing the work um, at the hog butchering. So it's been around a long time. Absolutely. I wonder, are you familiar with Geta? Yes. Because yes. My, my wife is from Cincinnati, and I had never heard of it before, and Geta is scrapple with better meat, but it's the same, I believe it's the same spices. I've never heard of it. also German. Yeah, it's, um, you see it a lot in Kentucky, because Kentucky, Cincinnati, those regions are right. well also tied. Right, also heavily German. Right, and uh, yeah, Geta is, prides itself as being a more refined version right. of Scrapple, but it's still everything but the oink. Right. Absolutely. I had an old lady tell me that one time, I absolutely never forgot it. <laughs> I still eat Scrapple, but I mean, it was... Uh, now, I, I haven't had the pleasure. Did you get to Rapa? Did you do? Did you did you do much with them? Uh, Rapa Scrapple in Bridgeville. I talked about them. I talked about their history and how they got started. Um, I did taste their Scrapple. I'm not a Scrapple fan, but I thought if I only wrote about what I love to eat, it would be a vegetable book. So I, right. <laughs> and nobody would be interested in doing it. So I've t- I talked to many of the farmers. I talked to the Bennetts. I talked to the people, Pfeiffer Orchards, T.S. Smith, um, the Rapa people, um, the Bison Farm people. So kind of made the rounds, um, Mountain Air. And then, of course, Sam and some of the other distillery people. Well, you know what's fun is that the bison people are fed. The bison are, tend to be fed on the on the beer uh, grains. Yes, and I know um, bison and some cattle ranches as well will use the leavings or the there's a name for it the which, mash the mash um, and do that. It's not the mash. I forgot the word as soon as you looked at yeah, me. It's something. <laughs> No, don't spent grain. The That's spent it. grain. The spent grain. The spent grain. <laughs> yeah. that, sound, that sounds so uh, like elite. Spent grain. Yeah. yeah. No. The, well, emo, the one of the funniest conversations I had were with the Nanakoke because we went. I went and talked to them during one of their. Um, one of the powwows. Powwows, and they said the only thing that they care about was fry bread and muskrat, and they told me this gruesome tale about how you could prove that what was in that stew pot was muskrat was to drape the head over the edge of the pot so you could see those gruesome orange teeth and then you know this was they weren't cheating they weren't using squirrel they weren't using rabbit it was muskrat 
Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm a huge I'm an fan Eastern of muskrat. Sh- I'm an Eastern Shore girl, and I can't get there. Yeah. That's uh, I, I, to draw a line. I've, I've been, I've been, uh, I, I did a story on muskrat once for the newspaper, and I said, I'm, I'm just going to try it. And so we had what we called Varmint Fest. Um, and I got to try it, and and I I, I I have a real taste for it. I had it at Dave Pit, Dave's Pittsville Dinette, which is supposedly one of the best places to have it. But then I had a smoked muskrat in Cambridge at their muskrat festival, and that was that was really really quite good. It was I mean it was smoked meat. It was it had that little bit of water taste, but mostly it was it was the smoked meat. Yeah, smoking anything will cure, yeah, I mean, will cure it. It's just the one flavor, really. Yeah. It's like it's like it's deep fried. Yeah, yeah. we got the fry. Well, <laughs> well, the thing about muskrat, if you do make it, is you've got to ch- soak it, soak it, soak it, change the water, and that's how you get most of that um, low level um, sludge taste out of it. Um, it's quite an art. It takes probably a good two or three days to get the muskrat in the pot. Okay, but I'll never make it for you, Stephanie. I promise. That's, that's okay. I, I'll, I'll make uh, it for you if you like. No, I think I'm, I think I'll just pass all the way around. Uh, and so, how did you how did you get to the column? How did you get to the book? How did you make the transition into writing? Um, once you once you made that decision, well, it was one of those happy accidents. I had just moved to Delaware. We had retired, and we were living in Lewis. And I went to a party, and there was the arts and entertainment editor for the Cape Gazette. And I had just gotten qualified as uh, certified as a Delaware Master Gardener. So I said, Jen, would you like a garden column? She said, Well, we already have two. Um, can you cook? I said, yeah. I mean, yeah. And she said, well, good, because the woman who's writing the cooking column right now is not doing well, and we're going to have to find a replacement. So I did a couple of um, columns on spec, and they liked them. And then something else happened, and that was my first column was about Caesar salad and how to make it really easy without measuring anything. And um, they got a really good stock photo. The next... uh, article was about making French toast and I talked about making it with a baguette and all the cinnamon and it was all puffy and wonderful and they illustrated it with the photograph of a prison cafeteria tray. That's wonderful. Oh man. (laughs) (laughs) So you know the little white bread square and the flat cutlery and the little half glass of orange juice it was gruesome. So my husband called Jen and said hey you know what I'm not a food photographer but I think I can do this. Would you be willing for me to take the pictures. So it's become a weekly project for us. Um, And then over time, you just accumulate so many, so many recipes. Oh, and the way I do my recipes is I actually have to make it if I'm going to publish it. Because if people see a column in the newspaper that has a recipe in it, they have to be able to reproduce it. And if you screw it up, then they don't like you very much. Sure. And I'm a seat-of-the-pants kind of cook, so I meticulously measure and do it all right and then write it down. And then he photographs it. And we eat it. And so it's become fun. And then over the years, um, I've been approached a couple of times about writing a cookbook. But I don't think there's a lot of interest in a cookbook because you really have to be Rachel Ray or sure. um, Tom Bobby Flay or somebody. Or it has to be associated with a restaurant, which right. I also don't have. Um, <laughs> but the notion of writing about the culinary history of this area, which was a discovery for me. Um, it just came naturally, and a friend of a friend suggested I talk to the History Press, and they liked the idea. That's fantastic. Like, for me personally, like I'm not a great cook. I have like five things, and I can knock them out of the park. Other than that, 
search me, you know, but I would find myself being more interested in a historical perspective on food in the area in which I live than maybe like a cookbook. Cause I'm gonna be like, Oh, that's really pretty. And it's going to go on the shelf, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's amazing. As you said, I guess if, if you, if you are a celebrity chef of some sort, then there is that kind of factor. But in, in a world where you can dial up the nearest recipe on your phone, you know, it, there has to be, there has to be something to it anyway. So, like we we did have a woman in here who had done a cookbook. Oh, Kelly Hughes Roberts. Kelly Hughes Roberts. Yeah. But the idea is here's the story, and then the recipe. It's not just and the story. It was more narrative. It, it it wasn't like this is a healthy salad. Here's the recipe. You know, it was it was a story that that made you want to make the recipe. And and so I get that. Uh, but the idea of of kind of preserving these things because a lot of I'm also a come here, and what I've discovered speaking with people is a lot of people just assume that everybody already knows these things, and they don't. No, I try in the column each week to come up with either a little snippet of history or a little bit of explanation about some of the ingredients that people might might not think about. Um, For example, I did one on rhubarb the other day, or a few weeks ago, when rhubarb was just in season. And rhubarb has been around for centuries as a medicinal treatment. Really? Um, You can use it as a rinse on your hair to make it a little blonder. Um, it's, It's got a lot of interesting capabilities that had it first as a tool and then as a food. Right. Um, so things like that. I just find that fascinating. To yeah, I remember I was reading, as I was doing some research, I was doing, I read, I think it was maybe the most recent one where you were talking about um, pork shoulders and you were d- talking about like the Boston butt or whatever. <laughs> and I was like, Boston butt? You had me a Boston butt. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was, that's what was another fun. So por- the top of the shoulder of the pig is called a Boston butt because when they were slaughtering pigs, primarily as food for ships that were going out to sea, um, they would store them in containers or barrels that were called butts. And because Boston was such a major seaport, it became a Boston butt. So if you go for a pork shoulder, don't look for pork shoulder. Look for Boston butt, and that's the right cut of meat. I would like to look for Boston butts. And so, when you when you pitched the book to History Press, can you tell talk, talk us about what that process was like? And they are very very structured. Um, I did a pitch years ago to an agent about a local cookbook, and she was, "It sounds interesting. Give me a few um, chapters." History Press had all these forms to fill out. Um, what are your credentials? Um, Why do you think you can do this? What are your marketing opportunities for it? Why do you think this is going to be interesting? Why would anybody want to buy it? Um, And so their their, um, screening process I found to be very, very thorough and effective if you think about it. Yeah, I... I just so they, I think that's the only way they they have a form online. I don't know if they, I don't know if they told you this or not, but that's just for the first one. Oh no, no one told yeah, me that. Yeah, so next time, do you, do you do you have an editor who you I work did, with? I did, and she quit to go Hannah. learn how to be a um, hand therapist. Yeah, in me order. too. Same editor. <laughs> we we had the same editor. Awesome. Well, ha- maybe Hannah your Cassidy. new one will be. Will so be- I don't. So uh, when I spoke to my salesperson, who I guess you'll get a call from as well, I think it's probably the same guy. Um, They'll probably ask them for the new editor. 
Yeah, the, she gave that to me in a goodbye note, and I don't have his name in my head oh, right, right now. Cool. But yeah, uh, because that's the that's the the, the kind of the, the holy grail where you just call and say, uh, I think I'm do, I'd, I'd like to do this book. Do you want it, or should I? send it to someone else. Right. I found that they were... In fact, I've talked to several people who've done multiple with them, and they said the process is much easier once your proof of concept succeeds. Right, yeah. Right. Um, And actually, that's what... When I wanted to do this book, I I wanted... uh, So I did Delaware beer. I just wanted to do Sussex County beer. And they're like, yeah, we'd rather have Delaware beer. And that was the whole process. I said... I think... I I sent Hannah a note, and I'm like, hey, I think I'd like to do Sussex... Um, and she said, well, we'd really like to have Delaware instead. And I said, okay, well, I'm going to shop Sussex otherwhere, elsewhere. And she said, well, no, no, no. How about you do Delaware and then you do Sussex? And I'm like, well, I'll do Delaware. So that's, that's how Delaware got done. I don't know. We uh, had a similar conversation. It's, I want to do Lewis. No, you can't. <laughs> how about Sussex County? No, you can't. How about Southern Delaware? And then I made the case of the, you know, the canal and how it really is different. And she bought it. So right. that and that's good. the thing. They think, they think very regionally. And they like to have, like, they don't want the word Sussex County on the book because there are only 14 people who live in Sussex County and no one else <laughs> knows what that word means. Exactly. So Delaware, people are like, I'm doing a history report on Delaware. Oh, look, a Delaware book. I'll buy that. Okay. And uh, yeah, that's, that, that was a tough sell for me as well. For yeah. them. And I also read that you do cooking demonstrations. Is that something that you'll maybe do as part of your, you know, when you, when uh, this book comes out in August, you, will you kind of mag- pair like a book signing with like a, a cooking demonstration or I would love to and there are a couple of recipes that I included in the book that are perfect for a demo um, I do demos all across the region I, do, I work with the cancer support community I'm there once a quarter um, I do things at the farmers market um, there are a couple of homeowner association communities that call me every year and say okay what what, what month do you want to come um, but um, I think that doing the demo and talking about the book is far more interesting to people who are sitting there. I'd love to be on the stage at the Baltimore Book Festival, but I'm probably not going to make it. So. <laughs> well, well, I mean, I'll vote for it. If, if it comes to vote, I'll vote for it. So I also read, again, in doing the research here, that you, you have a science fiction background as well. Yeah. So how do you go from, like, science fiction to food? And I'm always kind of interested by people who have two sort of different genres that they can kind of marry within the same brain? Well, um, the, I got into science fiction um, when I was dating my now husband. One of our early vacations was to go to Orlando and to go to one of the world science fiction conventions. And I had never seen the Terminator movie, so I had to stay up until 3 in the morning watching the Terminator's <laughs> movie. Um, there were movie stars, directors. Um, it was uh, Francis Ford Coppola was there signing um, the posters for his Dracula movie. It was like, this is cool. Right. Um, and also, people, you would enjoy this, people walking around in chain mail and little else was kind of entertaining. And so it was a Comic-Con. No, it wasn't, because in the early days, the science fiction convention had comics and hardcore science fiction. Uh. And then Comic-Con sort of siphoned them off. Um, so it was really both at that point in time. So, and then I got... I studied poetry and I write poetry and I'm in a poetry group and I thought, you know, this is a really cool thing to do, science fiction poetry or what they call speculative poetry, which is basically anything that isn't real now, 
or yet. Right. And, and then I've been going to science fiction conventions as a presenter, and one of the most popular things I do is building a meal for your invented world. So I start off by talking about um, supply chains, and everybody eyes glaze over. It's like, oh my gosh! <laughs> did, I <laughs> guess you, you did. Did they have you writing on the on the new Star Wars? Yeah. I did. I did one on the food <laughs> of Star Wars, Star Trek too. Um, but then I talk about if you have an undersea world, what are your characters eating? And I had one woman say, oh, you've ruined my life. I don't have a kitchen. I don't have a stove. I don't know what they're going to eat. And then I had somebody else at the end of it come up and say, I have these three-legged beasts, and I think that some of them can be food, and some of them can be transportation, and maybe some of them can be pets. I thought, okay, you go, girl. But, it was, <laughs> <laughs> but it's interesting to see people start to understand how you can inform your reader about your world. And then I would really freak them out by giving them recipes from Betty Crocker, Joy of Cooking, Silver palette and I'd say okay you have the world that you have in your head change this so you can make it for your characters change the ingredients change the preparation method figure it out science fiction food that's yeah. that's that's that ri- is cool what's really interesting about the woman with the three-legged beasts um if you're listening is <laughs> the idea of a culture where your pets and your food and your transportation are all the same animal what what kind of people are you? Yeah, right? that's like, a good like what's what's your what's your morality like? <laughs> I, I might write that book. I don't know. I mean, the only thing I can think is like horses would be close, right? Like their transportation, their pets, and I think some cultures eat horse, right? Yeah, yeah. So maybe yeah. they're like the French, but their transportation or pets or, or food. food. Oh God, they can't. So you can be one, but not all three. I think I think that it's the rare place where they are all three. Ah, gotcha. Or. <laughs> Yeah. I think she has some challenges. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. Uh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure that that wasn't the one sticking point that she had to overcome. <laughs> there may be other challenges in that one as well. The, the best was this eight-year-old boy who had um, ghouls, and um, he got the gingerbread cookie recipe, and he decided that because all the ghouls ate were souls and they sucked them from people, he would make a giant gingerbread man and transform it into some sort of live thing so that the ghouls could eat the souls of the gingerbread men and they would really like their soul food. Wow. Oh, man. And this kid was eight years old? Eight years old. We're going to see him on TV soon. Yeah. I just know it. Oh, my gosh. Kids are great. Yeah. So, so do you do a lot of these? So, like, that whole, um, like, writing premise of here you have a science fiction world, here's a recipe. Is that something that you do when you go to the science fiction conventions? Or is that something that you do, like, in workshops with... With things like where would you be presenting those types of primarily things? science fiction conventions and for those of you who are not in the world, there is one every week somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> um so I, I'm very interested to to bring it back a little bit uh to the uh to your to your book tour as it as it were the one of the things that we've been talking about a lot here is getting away from like traditional. the traditional signings. Um not as I'm not doing traditional signings anymore because they drive me bananas. I feel like an idiot sitting there behind the table. I, I'll do two. I do Bethany because they're so nice to me, and I'll do Browse About because they're so nice to me. And you do ours here. Well, I'm actually not doing yours here. <gasps> That's right. That's we are. That's right because what, we, what we've started to do is we do this podcast. We're going to start to do – we hope to start to do it live, 
and have and have that be the major book signing of the month. So have one monthly night where there's a pocket. So people come out for something, and because if you get to talk to people, then they'll buy your book more often, I think, than if you're just sitting behind a table like a schmo, unless you know you're this is David Sedaris or something. So I love the idea of doing a cooking demonstration and kind of and kind of pairing that. Have you thought much about how that's going to work? Yes, I have because um, I've I've done when I do a cooking demo. You've ever seen some of these chefs on television? They've got a cutting board in front of them, a knife in their hands, and their head are bent heads bent down, and all they do is cut and look at the food they're cutting. Um, I think it's much more engaging to have a conversation and to invite people to have the conversation with you while you're doing it. Um, And so there's some of the recipes. There's a a watermelon feta salad, for example, that is so easy to make and yet so incredibly tasty, and it features a lot of the foods of the area. So that would be one that would lend itself to uh, a presentation demo slash book signing. Um, And then plus, if they taste it and it's yummy, then they'll be more inclined to buy it. Right. And plus, no one will turn away free food. Right. And that's, that's, that's the, the, the catch, right, of people. And it's funny because I don't want to be too gross about it, but you give them a nickel's worth of watermelon, and then they give you $25 for your book or whatever it is. They feel oh, yeah. guilty for the free nickel's worth of watermelon <laughs> they got. No, but I think, and it's kind of something that we talked about with some other yeah. authors, that in some ways you kind of have to make your book secondary to whatever you're doing to make the book primary in a roundabout sort of way. But I think a cooking demonstration I'm paired with that, captivated like by that, that idea. I, would, I would go to that in a heartbeat. Yeah. So when you, when you do them, yeah. make sure we, we know where they are. Well, um, they're going to launch me at the Bethany Library. Uh-huh. Um, and I'm sure I'll show up at Browseabout at some point. Um, the woman at Biblion is very generous as well. So that's like Lewis, Rehoboth, Bethany, and I'm sure there'll be other places in between. The Lewis Historical Society does a sip and learn Friday night um, talk. So that would be another place. Right. Um, so we'll, we'll see what happens. But I had a pretty long list of uh, venues. Um, we'll see how many of them decide that they want watermelon juice spilled on their wood it's, floor. It's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, watermelon juice. It's, it's very, well, it's, 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 just, it's just an exciting concept because it's one of the things, as I said, we've, we've, one of the reasons we kind of started this is for another outlet for, for authors to kind of get their, get their words out, like get their what they're doing out so absolutely yeah no that and that was one of the things we we wanted to try to have another avenue for authors to kind of connect to that you know to their audience and i think you know food and beer i mean that's an easy that's an easy sell right there. Yeah. i'm getting i'm getting absolutely destroyed by the way on my on my on my my own personal uh my my, my own book tour that i've put together it's been another disaster it's like the spinal tap tour so oh. But I don't. Ha- I don't have food. All I Do have you is serve the force beer? of my. No, all I have is the force of my personality. Well, what happened? <laughs> uh, the, uh, the 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 difficulty for me is that people don't want beer in their places. That makes uh, them nervous. Yeah. Uh, so uh, so I mean I I've, I've done okay, but. Uh, so I did. So we we did a live podcast. I do a beer podcast. Oh, fun! Um, and so I decided that I was going to start doing live beer podcasts. Except that no one knows what they are. So when I went into the brewery, people were like, "Is is it karaoke tonight?" I don't oh. know. You know, they <laughs> just like people don't want beer in their stores. They don't the want, bars don't want books in their near their beer. Absolutely. So. so it was it was it it was a challenge, and I'm 
just jealous of how much better your idea is than mine, oh. frankly, is, is, all, is all I'm trying to get at. I can, I can see it over I there. Like, I can see you getting yeah. green around There's your There's got to be a way. There's got to be a way. Why didn't I think of that? Because that's, that's, that's brilliant. So, so please, please at least keep us uh, informed of how you're doing and, oh, and absolutely. invite us occasionally. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, and actually, as we kind of pull into the station at the end of the show, we'd like to talk about other ways that you promote your, yourself. So do you have do – you do, what do you do socially – Twitter, Facebook. I am antisocial completely. I spent so many years looking at computer screens and fixing problems and designing and developing software. And I, I have a Facebook page. Um, I might have 14 friends. Uh I mean, I have more friends in real life. I just, I just, I don't do anything. I don't Twitter. I don't Instagram. I don't do any of that. And I got a little bit of pushback from Hannah about that. She said, you know, you really ought to get yourself out there. And maybe I will. Well, the column doesn't hurt. No, the column doesn't hurt, but that's regional, you know. Although the column doesn't hurt at all. You go in the um, grocery store and someone will come up to you and say, well, should I buy this piece of meat or this piece of meat? <laughs> Just because they know you by your face because it's in the newspaper. Right. <laughs> now, that is the Facebook right that, there. <laughs> that's fantastic. Well, um, one, of the, uh, one of the things that I always liked about being in the newspaper business um, when I was is that a lot of times they were they were kind of generous with their hey I you know like I guess you can switch your bio bio now to say you know author of the recently published um, Delaware food from the History Press I know yeah. that's not the name of your book but I was struggling it's, it's quite and, all right and it's I didn't want right. to say um any more than I already had <laughs> <laughs> yeah the Cape Gazette has been wonderful to me they've been very supportive and I love my editor Jen she's just a doll. Um, and so it's been a really pleasant experience working with them, and it's a, it's been a fun time. And Good. now, do you do you plan on buying books from them to sell to yourself, or are you going to try to get the venues to buy the books? Have you thought of that much? Um, I'm going to do some of each. Um, I think I'm going to do some of each because, for example, if I'm going to go to a homeowner association ladies' club meeting where there's 50 people. They might not be inclined to go to the store to buy the book. I don't know if the schedule would match whatever the sales right. rep is going to be. So I'll have that as an option for myself. Yeah, well, never hurts. If, if somebody says, hey, you wrote a book, I'd like to read it. It, it never hurts to have it. I'm like, oh, well, I just so happen to have one right yeah. here. You know? so. That was one of the things that I learned doing this podcast. I keep them in my car now because I never had before. And people would say, you have a book? And I'd be like, yeah. Good luck finding it, you know. Yeah, no. and, and now, and now, I mean, no one asks now that I have them in my car, but they always could. <laughs> you never know when it's, it's going to be your, your day. I think today will be my day because I have my wife's car. <laughs> <laughs> can I buy you a book? <laughs> yes, you can. I have it right over there. Ah, okay. Right over there. <laughs> All right. Well, I think this is the part where you thank the guests. Well, thank you very much, Denise, for being here. It's an absolute pleasure having you on. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's been a treat. Fantastic. So What's Your Story was recorded at Saltwater Media, an indie book publisher in Berlin, Maryland. To hear more, visit www.saltwatermedia.com. You can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or on Stitcher. And if you want other people to hear more, give us a great review there. Tell your story.